0: Welcome to The New Chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a variety of other platforms. Here on The New Chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Mr. Greg Zuckerman. Thanks for joining me today. It is good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Mr. Greg Zuckerman is a three-time Gerald Loeb Award winner. He's the author of the multi-award winning book, The Frackers, the Outrageous Inside Story of the New Billionaire Wildcatters. And he regularly appears on CNBC, Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg Television, NPR, BBC, ABC, and numerous other radio stations and television channels around the globe. The topic of focus today will be COVID-19, specifically his new book, A Shot to Save the World, which is the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. Please welcome Mr. Craig Zuckerman. Um, Today we'll be focusing primarily on his latest book, um, A Shot to Save the World. Um, And I think this will be a really good and exciting conversation. He has highlighted the work of several key people from Moderna, BioNTech, Pfizer, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Novax, Oxford University, and several academic researchers. Uh, A really established and distinguished journalist. Uh, Please welcome Greg Zuckerman. So, um, in your book, you highlight uh, that. The success of vaccines can be a model for society, showing how private industry can work hand in hand with government bodies. Um, The COVID-19 vaccine revolutionaries are now facing, are now focusing rather on new challenges, including cancer, AIDS, malaria, multiple sclerosis, and more. So from reading this far, it appears as if the incremental success affiliated with vaccination policies can serve as a model for society. In what way do you see this occurring? and how is this feasible in the long term?
1: Hey, so uh, first of all, happy to be here. Nice to be in touch and uh, thank you for the interest in my new book, A Shot to Save the World. Uh, Yeah, I guess I would say uh, first and foremost that these vaccines are the greatest achievement of modern science. Um, I think we're a little too close to those accomplishments to appreciate them fully, but in time we will uh, appreciate them and in some ways they are a model um, as you kind of suggest um, private industry worked with government uh, agencies um, like never before and um, these vaccines are were accomplished in a record pace record speed uh, 330 days so it's only because government uh, worked hand in hand with private industry
0: yeah that's true so do you think or do you See other pathologies, other diseases being uh, uh, progress, or treatments being progress as fast as this one, as it pertains to government and industry, and government and private partnerships, or is that uh, far short?
1: Uh, I'm a little skeptical. Um, the government, Operation Warp Speed, uh, investors—they all wrote big checks in the hopes of getting out of this. Uh, pandemic quickly, and it worked. We succeeded, but would we all do this again? I I, I hope, well, if there's ever another pandemic, maybe we would, and hopefully there isn't another pandemic, but I don't know if we could do the same thing again. I'd like to think that government would work hand in hand with private industry and the NIH and other government scientists do have a nice long history of working with private industry, Moderna and other kind of companies. But in terms of this kind of urgency, I don't know if we could do it again.
0: Okay, that's fair, that's fair. So in the manner of, uh, from my understanding, the book appears to be a really uh, con- condensed man narrative of what went right with vaccinations during the pandemic. Outside of consistency, outside of the, your, primary, your primary goal of accuracy and consistency with presenting the facts of the situation, what were some other goals affiliated with this project?
1: Well, I like to entertain as much as I do uh, inform. Um, I think if you're going to spend a few hours with a book and spend the money on a book, uh, it should be an enjoyable experience too. So what I try to do is get at some important and potentially boring or dense topics through the people. And that's the way I do it. I think they can be inspiring. They were inspiring to me. That's part of why I wrote this book, mm-hmm. to learn myself. And, and these characters, these scientists, these researchers are quite, they're entertaining with us, are inspiring. And that's my goal as well, to inspire, to educate uh, and inform and, and entertain as well.
0: Okay, that's good. It's very good. So, in your book, it's noted that many vaccination efforts were challenged. Namely, Moderna didn't have the financial, the money to make the vaccine. as Recently, as May twenty twenty, and Pfizer and BioNTech executives were unable to decide on the vaccine design, um, affecting their own efforts. Oxford University scientists weren't convinced the virus was a true true threat, and needed the pro needed um uh, the stimulus of junior researchers to folk foster focusing on a vaccine. So how do you think uh, risk management and analysis came into play uh, when this vaccine was produced?
1: Well, it is important to remember that uh, as effective and as uh, protective as these vaccines are, they weren't a, a sure thing. We didn't really know whether they would work, and there was a lot of drama that I discovered uh, doing the research for my book, and hopefully the people will enjoy reading about that drama in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, As you said, Moderna, as recently as May 2020, they weren't sure they were going to have money. Um, Researchers at at Oxford were sort of torn and and whether this was going to be a uh, pandemic or not, or a virus that that they should be focusing on. Um, The Pfizer group First, Biontech couldn't convince Pfizer to focus on on a vaccine. And then even when they did, they they were split on what kind of vaccine to build. So it's really important to understand that um, we should be grateful. These vaccines, it wasn't a sure thing that would work out, and they have worked out. So um, there was a lot of drama behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of.
0: Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So do you think molecular biology, genetics, and therapeutics are those fields were accelerated in terms of their capacity to implement translational research? Or was it just a basic, or was this fast progress just based on the needs and the circumstances of the time?
1: Well, my book is really about the history of the last few years and actually a few decades Mm -hmm. that really led up to these approaches i mean people weren't really focused on them they weren't aware but for years uh scientists have been working on mrna and they were very kind of stubborn and resilient and persistent the conventional wisdom was that we shouldn't waste time on mrna and yet these scientists ignore the conventional wisdom so, and the same thing with the adenovirus approach, which led to the J&J and the AstraZeneca mm-hmm. vaccines. Again, the, the, the conventional wisdom was these it wouldn't work out. Um, people shouldn't waste their time on them. So there was really a lot of history that went into these approaches. Yes, they turned around quickly and they worked um, quickly, obviously, last year, but it wasn't like they were thrown together correctly last year there was a lot of work going into last year that I think people need to be aware of and um is really um heroic work that um mm. I, I I think people need to acknowledge and be grateful for and that's kind of what my book is about the heroic work that took place in 2020 last year but also in the years leading up to 2020.
0: Mm-hmm. You know I've noticed that the book is categorized based off or is portioned based on years and timeframes. So classic, uh, a classic risk management model involves periods where you monitor, respond, uh, you adjust, you implement, you assess, you authorize, you prepare, categorize or select. Um, where do you think we're spending most of our time as in our response to this pandemic? Do you think our time is being spent primarily on responding to it? or implementing changes or preparing for the changes that will come about from all these very various uh, variants. Where do you think we're spending most of our time based on your studies and work that you've done as far on the pandemic?
1: Well, what's clear is we have not spent enough time on preparing for vi- new viruses. There'll be new ones that emerge. Mm-hmm. Be maybe even new pandemics, potentially. We're in an age of, of lethal viruses. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, global warming. We're we're encroaching on the animal kingdom more than ever. Uh, There's airline flights. That's potentially spread disease all over the world. So we need to be much better prepared. And frankly, there there were warnings about this virus, about a virus, not this one specifically, but a virus, and that we need to be better prepared. And um, most governments ignored the warnings. Mm -hmm. There, There wasn't much preparation. We didn't have basic. Testing kits uh, ready. We didn't have basic masks. We had to import them, and they were often faulty. Uh, Took you know early in the in the uh, pandemic, we didn't have enough masks, um, and it was a a really scary kind of thing. So yeah. we don't do a good enough job in society about with preparing for these potentialities. We're good at scrambling and adjusting and addressing them when they emerge, but we do need to do a much better job preparing.
0: Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So, you know, continuing this conversation, you know, I did some research and some key vaccination facts from the World Health Organization states, uh, state that um, immunization through vaccination is one of the safest ways to protect against disease. It is always best to get vaccinated even when the risk of infection is low. This is what the World Health Organization is saying. Combined vaccines are safe and beneficial. Um, the link between there is no link, rather, between vaccines and autism. This came from a myth from a 1998 study that was quickly found to be seriously flawed. And the study was ileal lymphoid nodular hyperplasia, nonspecific colitis, and pervasive developmental disorder in the children. And that was in the Lancet. And that was study, that study was found to be seriously flawed. And finally, if we stop vaccination, deadly disease will return. So these are key facts that the World Health Organization, from their comprehensive work and robust studies, they've decided that people should be aware of these things so how do you think we can combat vaccine misinformation how do you think we can combat that
1: it's a really great question it troubles me very much the scientists worked they went all out to develop these vaccines they succeeded effective protective vaccines safe vaccines and yet um, a a portion a percentage of the populace doesn't care and um, would rather rely on some YouTube video that their brother-in-law told them about as opposed to the uh, guidance of uh, their internists uh, that they trusted for years. It's perplexing to me and confounding. Uh, What do we do about it? Well, I'm trying to do my part, frankly. I think my book should be reassuring to people and I'm trying to get out there and talk to people and I've done speeches and done media with vaccine hesitant groups and, what I try to emphasize is that these vaccines were not done overnight. There was years of years of work uh, that was dedicated to developing them. They uh, were not uh, rushed. They there weren't corners that were cut. And and, and I think what, what's important to emphasize, and frankly, I don't think we do enough, the government and other kinds of people listen there are two types of vaccine hesitant people there are people that believe that bill gates is putting a chip inside our brains and it's hard to rationalize with those people but there are a lot of other people that are quite um um, measured and concerned and reasonable and they're wary because they say well greg you you told me that the average vaccine takes 10 years the fastest vaccine until last year was four years that's uh, months and, and now you're telling me that in 330 days we created this new vaccine with a new technology so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned and and i understand why those people are wary they have reason to be wary so what i try to emphasize is well a the, the, the years that went into this these d- vaccines but b the, the fact the reason why we went so quickly we we're able to develop it so quickly is because we developed um, developed these vaccines we did different stages different phases simultaneously. I don't mean phases as in phase one, phase two, phase three, but um, I mean that historically what we did was develop a vaccine and test a vaccine and then you manufactured a vaccine, three distinct um, stages that take years. But for the first time ever we did things simultaneously. We, developed, we manufactured vaccines, for example, before we even knew that they were going to be Effective, and we never did that historically because we didn't have the money for that. Why would you spend billions and billions of dollars manufacturing a vaccine when you don't even know it's going to work or not? Mm-hmm. And the only reason we could do that is we, the money was available. So, again, we didn't cut any corners. We just did things simultaneously for the first time. And I think when you emphasize that, when you, when people know that, when people understand that, it's reassuring to them, and it should be reassuring to them. Us, ah, so we manufactured these vaccines before we even knew there were going to be. Um, uh, effective be, be, because we were taking a, a, a risk. Uh, it was a risk, it was money risk more than anything. It wasn't safety or health. So that explains why we went so quickly. And I think that should be reassuring for people.
0: And I also think, you know, along the same lines, just because a result is novel, a result is new, doesn't mean the components haven't been developed over a long period of time. And the techniques haven't been developed over a long period of time. So yeah, I completely agree. Um, That's a really good point. it's yes. a great
1: point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It takes time to develop the techniques, the skills, the, all of the parameters, all of those things. Yeah. Time. Yeah. yeah. And in science, you Right. Do. right. They,
1: were, uh, they were applied. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off.
0: In science, yeah. what? In science, uh, many times we come up with new results, but the techniques were in the works from years, sometimes decades before we even began. So, yeah. You go ahead.
1: Do you have other examples of that? That's a very good point. Yeah, so so
0: for example, like in chemistry and synthetic chemistry, we come Mm -hmm. up with new molecules all the time, but like stereoselectivity, asymmetric organic uh, catalysis, all those organic catalysis, all of those things have been developed over time. Even though the things we can get, it may be novel, we may get a new product that we have to characterize through NMR mass spec and a variety of other techniques. But even the techniques that we use to characterize that new product, they were developed over time. yeah yeah so you that's a great point that's a great point yeah so go ahead
1: i think that's important to emphasize for people right hopefully that's kind of thing that can reassure people ah so yeah we developed it quickly but the techniques were not developed quickly um Mm -hmm. i think that should be reassuring for people and that's part of the reason i wrote
0: this book yeah i agree i agree so do you think anecdotal evidence provides a basis for scientific decisions if not, if it is not ground grounded, peer reviewed, unbiased, and data driven.
1: Uh, no, it all needs to be data driven and peer reviewed. Okay. Unfortunately, in, in this case, sometimes studies had to be released before they were peer reviewed, but eventually they were. So eventually we get there. It's just that we were in a pandemic and it wasn't the time. But it wasn't like any huge decisions were made um, or vaccines were were shared, were, were, were distributed before um, the data was there. I mean, these, these uh, vaccines were tested on tens of thousands of people. And at this point, over a billion people have them inside them. So, um, you know, people should be reassured at this point.
0: Yeah, so um, uh, one more question along this pandemic and then we'll discuss your career thus far. Um, why do you think conspiracy theories became so popular during this pandemic?
1: It's a great question. You, you step on a nail, you step on a nail, well, and I'm sorry. I,
0: well, I think, um, I, I, I think it's a, a good question in that um, I think many times, some ta- or sometimes, the facts of the situation were being adjusted or spun mm-hmm. and people were looking at them with different political views or beliefs or presuppositions or mental models or principles so, of course, it was going to result in different outcomes or different ideas about the situation because the facts of the situation were being spun as opposed to being looked at from an objective or an empirical standpoint or basis. Uh, but you go ahead. Why do you think conspiracy theories became so popular?
1: Yeah, well, you know, to your point, that is all true. The only question is why today is, there, are there more of these? Why are they spitting it more? Uh, why there are more conspiracy theories in the past. I mean, I was, I was saying, if you step on a nail, I don't care who you are, you go and get a tetanus shot. I don't mm-hmm. see people questioning, well, where who, who just developed the tetanus shot? How fast was the tetanus shot developed? How many people have received the tetanus shot? I think I'm going to wait on this tetanus shot. Maybe it's changing my diet. You don't hear that at all. People just go get a tetanus shot. For some reason, in this pandemic, these vaccines became politicized i think anything i think it's partly it speaks to where we are in society mm-hmm. everything is politicized i don't care what it is everything mm-hmm. uh sadly sadly is is a reflection of politics and it's tribal my team yours is your team and your team is my team oh you like the vaccines then i can't like the vaccines you, you don't like the vaccines then i can't have any questions about the vaccines and um it's it's a sad reflection of where america is Today, I mean, I guess to some extent, broader society, other countries too. I see same kind of conspiracy theories in Germany and England as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could be just where we are in terms of uh, how we obtain our information today. People don't read books like they used to. I'm, I'm, I've written a book and uh, it's doing fine, but it seems like mainstream media, newspapers, people don't get their information. They get their information from youtube and, and facebook and their brother-in-law's cousin so um sadly there's this um question of, of information i mean it, it does stem from a healthy impulse people today feel empowered people feel they can get their own information don't tell me what to do i'm going to do my own research mm-hmm. and that that is that can be healthy there's something to be said for that i'm a believer in people um becoming informed yeah. and it, it used to be that you go to a doctor and they put you in a trial and now people, let's say you've got a disease of some kind. Now people do their own research. They tell their doctor, Hey, I'd like to be in this, in this trial. And it goes back, you know, decades. I start off my book with uh, HIV and the, the, uh-huh. um, the chase for HIV vaccine and HIV patients often were, 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 were not a part of the process and things have changed since then. And they're, and it's good to be empowered and to feel part of the process, but um, you also need to defer to the experts to some extent and scientists, and they are trying to help and they're trying to heal and come up with that vaccines and medicines and to be um, accuse them, accuse people in health and public health policy of doing harm is just awful and discouraging for somebody like myself.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I'll just give this classic example. I don't go to my principal investigator and tell him how I think he should do research on the metallo chaperone. Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. take his advice and proceed forward considering how he's the expert in this instance, in this situation. So, um, you know, I think um, it's important. And I think your book is timely and it's very seminal. And I think it will be a good addition to the information that we have up there right now. So. Concerning your career, you've been successful as a Wall Street Journal Special Writer. Um, what have been your long-standing interests in the field of science and journalism? Uh, what, what have been your interests that have lasted uh, so long?
1: Well, I, I write about all kinds of different areas. I'm not a science writer, per se. Mm-hmm. I just look for good stories. So I'm an investigative reporter right now, and a lot of what I do is... Um, focusing on the bad and the good. I like uh, strikeouts and home runs is the way I look at it. So it's companies, it's it's firms, it's individuals that do really remarkable achievements. Um, I've written, I wrote a book a few years ago about the energy revolution in the United States and how we went from a country that was running out of oil and gas to discovering huge amounts of it, so much so that the United States is actually exporting oil and gas. And I write about the individuals that are responsible and they're smaller companies, they're geologists, they're um, interesting wildcatters, people like that. I like to do that kind of thing. Um, I wrote a book a few years ago uh, called The Man Who Solved the Market. And that's about those individuals. And they're usually scientists and they're mathematicians Mm -hmm. who developed a way to invest, a new way to build algorithms, to uh, predictive algorithms way before Facebook and uh, Silicon Valley was using predictive algorithms and how they conquered the market. So I like to write about big achievements and in how individuals uh, pull them off and companies and scientists, how they pulled off those big achievements and changed society. And This one, my new book, A Shot to Save the World, is, is really it encapsulates that theme of unlikely individuals. And it's usually unlikely individuals that I like to write about, unlikely companies, et cetera, scientists, mathematicians, et cetera, uh, who changed the world.
0: Yeah, I, I I think that's very useful because people can learn from them and extract ideas, mental models, principles on how they thought about the situation and try and apply some of their uh, thinking and ideas to their own personal lives. So how do you maintain view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life in general?
1: How do I, I'm sorry, maintain the bigger picture?
0: Yeah, view of the bigger picture. How do you see the forest for the trees and how well, do you keep perspective essentially?
1: So it helps that I'm a generalist. I'm not an expert. I, I'm not a scientist. I probably got B's at most taking my classes in, in science uh, growing up. So I come at every topic as an outsider, and I'm fascinated by these achievements. So it, it to me it really helps. It really helps that um, um, th- that I'm an outsider. I mean, to me, it really is uh, important to be you now to to maintain. The perspective of an outsider um i uh, it helps me be impressed by these individuals it helps me be a little bit skipped, skeptical too i'm not too caught up in it so it helps that i'm um an, an outsider and not an expert and it hurts me as well so it, it, it's a challenge to be i have to become an expert on some of these areas and i i hired a phd to get to tutor me um, she's in a lab in newark and she worked with me on um Educating me on various aspects and all the a lot of the scientists, the vaccine, uh, the virologists, the vaccine specialists, the researchers, they all walked me through a lot of the topics and the issues, and um, that helped me as well.
0: Yeah, that's good. And that answers the following question How that explains how you are adaptive and creative in the fields of science and journalism. So, how did you seek or find the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and intellectually? How did you end up at the Wall Street Journal as a special writer? How do you achieve that uh, career achievement? How did you reach that? Uh, I
1: started off at a small little newsletter, and okay. then I went to the New York Post, and then I went to the Wall Street Journal. I've been there since 1996. And basically, I worked my way up, and I um, mm. proved myself. And then at the Journal, I've done various different um, beats, different topics, different areas of investigation. But now I'm in... in a investigative uh, uh, units. So they let me, they give me a lot of leeway. I come up with uh, good ideas, hopefully, <laughs> or they have good ideas for me to research, to, to uh, run after, to target. And um, But there's a lot of uh, flexibility. Sometimes I write about science. Sometimes I write about the energy world. I write about finance. So I'm very, very blessed and, and lucky that um, I have this kind of leeway i mean the, the challenge is to be an expert in all these different areas mm-hmm. and to find the right people to talk to so that's my challenge but the the good side the good thing is uh i never get bored there's always some interesting area to write about
0: Yeah, always. Yeah, that's good because i've heard uh, i've heard people discuss uh, brings up several key ideas you know um expertise could be a function of time mentorship resources exploration and exposure so that's one thing as well as um You know, I've heard people talk about jumping from one S curve to the next in which you're developing, constantly learning, plateauing and then developing, constantly learning, doing well. And so in terms of disrupting yourself in your career, so that's very good. So what have been your most effective and impactful ideas to date? I would say this book is very impactful. I would say your New York Times bestseller was impactful. What have been your most impactful ideas?
1: Well, I don't know about ideas, but I have had impactful stories, I think. I hope so. Um, My books have had some impact. Um, I've written also two books for young people. Mm -hmm. I wrote two books with my sons. We wrote books to inspire young people. They're called Rising Above Mm -hmm. and um, Rising Above Female Athletes. The first is mostly male athletes and the second are female athletes. And Mm -hmm. the idea was we wanted to speak to the athletes and find out how they overcame challenges in their youth. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's trying to be entertaining, but also inspiring for young people. And I'm very proud that a lot of young people, this is their first book they've read. And a lot of adults uh, give them to their children around Christmas time to, to inspire them. And um, I've been inspired. My sons and I both have been inspired by these stories of the athletes and what they overcame. So um, I'm hoping other people are inspired as well.
0: Yeah, stories of victory can lead to inspiring others i completely agree so how do you maintain a balanced life given all your responsibilities and accomplishments how do you strive to maintain a sense of balance or a sense of priority um given all your responsibilities and accomplishments
1: so i have um, a family that i cherish and uh, they demand attention and that keeps things in perspective but um i'm religious as well so i keep the sabbath the jewish sabbath and that forces me to turn off my phone uh, and my computer for 25 hours from uh, Friday night to Saturday. I'm overwhelmed with work and I'm the 25 hours, but to turn things off for 25 hours, I don't um, answer emails, I don't send emails, I don't use the electricity. while I was younger, that seemed um, it was a real challenge. And I had friends that um, were going to the movies and doing fun things and television on the Sabbath. As they, as I get older, I appreciate it. And it really is very helpful for me. I can recharge. Uh, ironically, uh, I'm not using electro- electronics, electricity, no phones, but it helps me recharge. And I find it very, very, very beneficial to, to keep the, uh, the Sabbath.
0: Idea. I'm a Christian as well. And um, keeping the Sabbath is uh, important practice very important practice so how have you been it's so beautiful. successful as a special writer would you say it's the time that you put in would you say it's a mentorship that you were given as you progress from the small um newsletter to the new york post the wall street journal what would you say has been the key factor in your success thus far
1: i i wish i had mentors i never really did to be frank with you i've had good editors but i've really never had any mentors um so I wish I had mentors, but my um, if I've had success, it's because I'm I'm curious and I um, I ask a lot of questions. My wife will say maybe I have too many, ask too many questions It can drive her crazy, but uh, I'm a curious person. So um, I find everyone has a story. Everyone has an interesting story uh, and I want to hear what their story is. So I've been lucky to to uh, have people that I can ask questions of and, and, and get help from. So there are people, there are always people to help you Be it in the world of science, be it in the world of finance, be in the world of energy, all the areas that I've written about, they're always, if you ask enough questions, often enough people, there's someone who will take the time to explain and to sit with you and, 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 uh, and, and work things out and hold your hand as it were on the phone, on an email, they'll run, they'll make sure what you're writing is accurate. So if you ask enough people You'll find people to help you, and mm-hmm. there, you'd be surprised how many people are eager. Um, maybe they're just nice. Maybe they just want to see their name in the paper, and they don't want to make sure they want to make sure that it's not inaccurate for whatever reason. People have different motivations, but um, I've always felt that if you ask enough people, there, there are people there to
0: help. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Like substance doesn't exist in a vacuum. By definition, a vacuum has nothing in it. Um, so mm-hmm. we live in community. No. I, and things are more interdependent than they appear to be so I completely agree it's good to um, it's good to have community and it's good to lean on other people so how have you maintained vision and teamwork in your environment how do you how do you facilitate collaboration with other people how are you able to maintain view of the big goals for your projects um, how do you maintain that
1: well at the wall street journal and, and with my books they're always great people to work with. I'm very lucky. The Wall Street Journal and the staff are just super smart and hardworking and the editors as well. So I'm, I'm lucky in that regard.
0: Okay, good. So do you have any advice to those wanting to pursue the field you are currently working in?
1: Um, ask a lot of questions, show you can, um, break news. There always, there's always a need for people to break news. Um, and, um, yeah, just just look for an area that maybe you can specialize in do a little bit better than everybody
0: else I completely agree yeah so expertise and specialization does favor people so what has been the most valuable advice you have received to date if you had to summarize the advice that you've received or consolidate or condense it what would you say has been some seminal advice that that you remember um, or that comes to mind and that is helpful to you
1: Well, my father was an academic. Uh, He's passed away, but he was a professor and he wrote as well. And he was a very good writer. He wrote a few books, too. And he always said, keep things tight. Cut things out that are extraneous. Don't um, write extra, write longer than you need to. He was always cutting cutting things out of my writing. So I've always remembered that.
0: Okay, that's good. Well, thank you, Mr. Zuckerman. Uh, Thank you, Greg, for... Sure. Interview, I really appreciate it. And thank you again for the conversation.
1: Great to be here, you.
0: Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I.